Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey. And we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. We have a very special guest today. This is one of our growth series episodes. Um, Our guest today is one of our closest friends and part of the Ladies Night crew that we reference all the time. This is our Hannah Brown Sugar, and she is truly one of the most efficient people I have ever met. Truly, if you need somebody to help you do a grocery trip that would otherwise take you 30, but you only have seven minutes, like this is your girl. (laughs) Um, She is an absolute force and a total dreamboat and loves a summer night. We are so excited (laughs) to have you. Wow. Thank you. I feel literally so honored to be here. So excited. We put in the work. We're here. Well, we are definitely glad to have you. And just so everybody knows, Hannah is a 5-1 emotional generator in human design. She's a Virgo sun, a Leo rising, and a Leo moon, and a three-wing two on the Enneagram. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Bracey, will you tell us a little bit about the human design? Like, Give us a spiel on what that means. Sure. Uh, So Hannah's a generator like me, which basically means when we are lit up, we can do just about anything. We create create energy when we're doing things we love. And her authority is from her emotional center. So when she has emotional waves, that's how she can kind of work through things and know what's right for her and what's not. Also, she's a 5-1, which is the same as Taylor and Delaney. Wait, really? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Oh, that's fun. You know, how does that feel to you? Does that feel true? I think so. What Bracey said about when you're, how did you say it, Bracey? Like when you're energized by something, you create more energy. Mm-hmm. Is when that what you said? When you're lit up by something, you create energy. Yeah, I really feel that. I feel like there's this sort of like level of myself that when I'm like really feeling myself or like really feeling what I'm doing, I can like click into this next level and mm-hmm. operate at like a higher level. I don't know. I don't really know a better way to describe that than what I just did. I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels true. Interested in the, would you say five one? That's the same as Taylor and baby Delaney. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do really identify with baby Delaney, so not shocked (laughs) on that. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't, I remember she told me when Delaney was born that her and Taylor was, were the same, but again, this happens in our friend group where I feel like when there could be tons of different scenarios with like Enneagram and with human design, like there's so many possibilities is that we keep like we find ourselves, we find each other or something in this weird way. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about our friend group is that we all kind of became friends at the time in your life when you have really kind of started to figure out who you are. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, some of the guys were, you know, friends when they were younger and kind of grew up together. But I think especially the, the ladies side of the group, we all really started to solidify our relationships when we were out of college and in our 20s. And I think that that's really the time when you kind of start to figure out who you are. So -hmm. it's not surprising to me that that has created these situations where like we kind of found like ourselves and other people too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Okay. What about your Enneagram? This was something that was really popular in our crew for a little bit. We were like real into it. Yeah, I remember when we first did the test, we were on a beach trip, I think, over Memorial Day weekend. And I just looked like the free online one. I guess prior to that, I had done like Myers-Briggs and um I was, you know, familiar with like being a Virgo, only like the sun sign, though, I guess not like the, the moon sign or the rising. But all of those felt like sort of, you know, true to me. But then when I did the Enneagram and I got my results, I was like, my mind was blown because it felt so accurate. I have some notes from my research and preparation that I did, just like trying to remind myself about like what my Enneagram is, what it means so I could speak accurately to whether or not it feels true. It really resonates with me. So the for the three week two, the most basic fear is to feel unworthy of love. Um, and three wing twos are generally like afraid of failing and because to them that like makes them unworthy of love. So to avoid this, uh, they set and accomplish goals in order to feel successful and worthy, which yes, that I do that. That is very true. Um, and then their most basic desire is to be successful. I guess like the three is the achiever. So it's all about like setting and meeting goals and, you know, 
reaching success, whatever that means. So yeah, I think three wing two, I, it definitely feels very true for me. I also think that this is just a speculation, but my guess would be that there are more Enneagram threes that are Virgos or have a lot of Virgo in their chart than any other Enneagram, because I feel like the Virgo and the Enneagram three kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, I I think that too. The the Virgo, it talks about being like hardworking, detail oriented and critical, which there can be some good things about being critical too. just having, you know, a critical eye. yeah, I agree. I feel like there's a lot of overlap when it comes to how you kind of take in and analyze situations. Well, we'd love to hear more about your growth journey. What does personal growth mean to you? Wow, thank you for asking. And I feel like I should mention that, as you both know, this is the question I was the most stressed out about answering for this whole interview. I don't know why. Um, well, if we really want to really get into it, I could probably come up with some reasons why. Um, oh, we do. I oh, we do. <laughs> we do want to get into it. <laughs> so do you all remember like when we were in middle school, high school, and you would be writing a paper and you would start out the paper with like Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> da, 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 da. So that's sort of the approach I'm taking here. <laughs> so I Googled what is personal growth? and The answer that I got is the process of an individual becoming aware of the self. I put that in quotes for people who can't see me um, in its entirety, followed by taking steps to address the behavior, attitudes, values, actions and habits that they wish to change. So to me, it feels a lot like kind of like optimization of self, I think. But the part that really resonates with me and where I am in my life right now, I would say is like the self-awareness piece of it, really understanding who you are as a person and also why you are that way. I think that's one of the reasons that I really like all of the different personality type things that we talk about, you know, Enneagram, human design, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think for a lot of my life, I was like, I guess I would notice things about myself and know that they were parts of my personality. But then to say, oh, it could be because you know this is your enneagram or like this is this is like when you were born like it it almost gave like some cause to all the things that I felt like I had noticed for a long time but getting back into the self-awareness I think that I've experienced a lot of growth in the past like eight or so years and I think that's largely because of who I surround myself with and like that's talking about the friend group right like as we know and I think as listeners at this podcast are starting to learn is self-awareness, mental health, personal growth. Like these are all really big topics of conversation for our friend group. I feel like it has to be more than what other friend groups talk about it. Like, I think we talk about it a lot, but I think that that has really helped me develop a better kind of sense of understanding of myself. I think some of the ways that I have improved or grown is instead of like when I was younger, I would and I don't even mean like, yeah, like a young person, like I'm 30 now, I'm talking about when I was like, you know, in my early 20s. I think that instead, like what I would do then is maybe just act on my thoughts or my emotions, I would just act right, like, I'd be like, this is how I'm feeling. And I'm acting. I think that I've shifted now to kind of trying to better understand the motivations behind what I'm feeling. Um, Say, okay, this is what I want to do. Like right now I'm feeling this way and this is what I want my, my action to be. But, you know, taking a pause before I act to try to understand what I'm feeling and like why I'm feeling that way and kind of try to get to the core of it. Because I think that level of understanding will often change the way that I I will react. Um, In terms of like where I am on my growth journey, I don't really think it's linear. I don't think it has a beginning or an end. I think like I'm in it. I feel like I, I hope I'm always in it. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Hashtag. One thing I was thinking when you were talking was like, I feel like the Enneagram and all these other outside tests and even like your conversations with your closest friends, like it gives you these different lens to see yourself. Mm-hmm. And like that can be a huge growth point when you get to have the different perspectives of whether that's people or online tools or whatever, but it, it, really helps facilitate that self-awareness that we all desperately want and need. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, let's jump into your relationship with 
anxiety with, you know, you're talking about how you've gotten to a point where you're able to not be as reactionary about things, but pause and give thought to kind of what's going on in your body and that type of thing before you take the next step. So how does anxiety play into that? Would you say that anxiety is the number one most popular topic for our friend group to talk about? I feel like it might be. Yeah. It's real up there. Yeah. I feel like it's just such a, I don't know, such a big part of our lives. And I'm really glad that like we have that outlet to be able to talk about it. So my relationship with anxiety. So I was diagnosed with anxiety during my senior year of high school. If you kind of take a quick look back at like, my personality type and my like achiever tendencies and my overall like desire for success and fear of failure. And then you think about what was happening senior year of high school. I'm, I was right in the middle of college applications. I was right in the middle of a lot of complicated senior projects. Um, and I was waking up every single morning, super nauseated, had a hard time eating. So of course my sweet parents took me to the doctor. The doctor was like, are you pregnant? I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> My Wait, dad brought me here. First question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They made me take a pregnancy test, which I mean, is like, I think a normal thing to do. But I was like, no, I'm not pregnant. I'm just, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I was uh, diagnosed with anxiety then for the first time, though. I mean, I think if you like ask my parents now, and they looked back at my childhood, like, yeah, I've like always had it. It just finally got to the point where it was uh, impacting my life to like a significant extent. So for me, my anxiety manifests very physically, um, like particularly in my gut. So that's why I was having all of the like the the nausea symptoms at that time. And that's how I was originally diagnosed. They also, in addition to me being pregnant, they also thought I had a stomach ulcer. So yeah, I don't know, just weird things. So that was senior year of high school. So Since then, I've been like on and off of various medications for it, in and out of talk therapy over the past like 12 years. Um, Currently don't take any meds except occasionally stuff for my stomach (laughs) because of how it impacts me. Um, But I am actively pursuing getting back into talk therapy, which as you both know, has been a real journey for me to try to get this therapist to respond to me because of course, I like found this one that I'm obsessed with. And I'm like, you, you need to be my therapist. And mm-hmm. anyway, so she's speaking but, to you. She sounds like a perfect fit. You know, I, you we'll, we'll send her this episode. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can just skip the, the intake session and we'll just send her this. She'll, she'll know everything she needs. To know. <laughs> I love that. I saw this thing on TikTok the other day where a girl had... Uh, her, her therapist, who she had been seeing for a couple of years, made some comment about like, yeah, you know, like all these people that you talk about, I don't actually know what any of them look like. And the girl was like, wow, you're right. Like, that's so crazy to me. So the girl made like a slideshow with pictures of everyone in her life. Honestly, I think as a therapist, I would really appreciate that. I think so, too. I think it's much easier to talk about someone when you can like picture them. So I thought that was really funny. And um, for you to re- be able to remember like when they pop up like in sessions later on like you have a visual of like oh, okay yeah that that's what you're talking about it's a lot mm-hmm. to keep straight and with nothing to go off of yeah absolutely absolutely so my anxiety is very wrapped up in like my performance and my achievement um and then also how others view me so i tend to have a lot of anxious thoughts about my job performance uh <laughs> i'm basically always slightly concerned that I'm about to get fired at any moment. I'm not like a low performer. Like I know that (laughs) rationally, but but still I'm almost always concerned that I'm about to get fired. And someone who has had many promotions in the last like five years. She has basically every reason to think she is not going to get fired, but it's, you know, anxiety doesn't make any sense. So no, it it is not a rational girly. It is not. And I don't know, I, one of like, I, I don't know, like how to classify this, but I basically have this belief that I could do like one sort of bad thing and it would ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies like at work. It applies like in other areas of my life too. So yeah, I don't know. So anyway, like I tend to, because so much of it is wrapped up in like, am I succeeding? Am I doing well? Obviously, that tends to be reflected a lot in how I 
like am at work. Romantic relationships are also a really big anxiety trigger for me. That's tied to some like relationship trauma I experienced in college. But like that's another big area that I, I have a lot of anxiety in general. I would say when I'm unhealthy in my anxiety, I'm like irritable. I have symptoms of like depression. I have some obsessive type tendencies. Um, and I tend to have a lot of shame around that and like struggle with sharing those moments with others. I'm making like little bits of progress here. Anna knows this. I tend to, poor Anna, I, I really am going to start paying her at some point. I swear I am. <laughs> but I have made some progress, I think, in being able to open up when I am in unhealthy, anxious moment. But yeah, that's what, what it typically looks like for me when I'm unhealthy. When I'm healthy, I'm relaxed. I'm optimistic. I'm energetic. I'm pretty extroverted. I tend to be very open during these times, like with my thoughts and emotions. And like, I can have more drawn out periods of being unhealthy. But generally, over the past few years, I would say I am like overall healthy in my anxiety. And then I'm situationally like unhealthy. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I think you have made a lot of progress. I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> for how much growth you've done and also not poor Anna I love getting your phone calls you're like okay I just have like one thing to talk through real quick <laughs> I appreciate that you're trying to give me more credit I will say there's a lot that I I still don't call about which is probably a benefit to you but still a sign <laughs> of like my ongoing uh a challenge in this area um yeah but yeah shout out to Anna for using that master's degree to help me as well as <laughs> all of her amazing clients. <laughs> Would you say that you are pretty easily able to recognize when you're falling into those unhealthy patterns? Yeah, definitely. I think too, because it's, there are two areas of my life where it's the most prevalent. I would say it's work and then it's romantic relationships. And because it is like, those are really the only two areas of my life at this point in time that I find that I do get more triggered with my anxiety and like tend to get into those very like negative cycles. I think it's pretty easy for me to identify it because I almost not that I expect it to happen, but I just know that that's something like that's a, a direction I tend to go. So I it's easier for me to recognize when it's happening. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about social media. What would you say your relationship to social media is? I think this is a fun question because I think that a lot of people experience what I'm kind of calling like the comparison demon um, when it comes to social media. You know, that idea of comparison is the thief of joy. Social media is a highlight reel. People are sharing like the best of the best. And it, you know, when you're sitting on your couch, you haven't washed your hair in four days, you're wearing dirty sweats and you see the girl you went to high school with in Bora Bora with her hot fiance, you're like, wow, my life sucks. Like I'm not doing enough. I'm anyway, uh, that has not ever, ever really been an issue for me. Thankfully. Like I know that it's uh, like a really, I know it's a challenge for other people and it makes perfect sense why, but for whatever reason, I have been able to kind of avoid the comparison side of social media. If anything, I think I tend to find it more inspirational than anything. I enjoy that people use it as a way to share beautiful things. And I think there are also plenty of people who have acknowledged the fact that it's a highlight reel and make an active effort to share the real sides of their life as well. Um, I follow a lot of lifestyle influencers. I like using it to gather inspiration for design and fashion and food, etc. I think really my only struggle with social media is I spend a lot of time on it, right? Like I use it as a time filler. I use it as a distraction. And I think there's definitely room for improvement in that area, but I'm not super concerned about it <laughs> only because I don't think it's really negatively impacting my mental health. I think it's just wasting my time sometimes. Yeah, that sounds almost identical to my relationship with social media, which there's just so much good art out there. It's easy to get sucked in. I know, <laughs> like I love just a nice aesthetic scroll, you know? <laughs> so vibey um okay what about friendship what what does growth look like for you there 
So this is uh, an interesting question. And I didn't initially think that I had a strong perspective on this, but as I thought about it more, I changed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was growing up, we moved a lot because of my dad's job. We moved on average about every three years or so. Um, Like we moved between fourth and fifth grade. So I started a new school in fifth grade. We moved between eighth and ninth grade. So I started my freshman year at a new school. And then we moved again between sophomore and junior year. So I went to two different high schools, freshman and sophomore at one school, junior and senior at another school. So all of this meant that I got really good at making friends, like by necessity, right? Um, But I think that what kind of came along with that was I always sort of felt like the last person to show up at the party in my friend groups. Side note. I hate being late to parties. Like I do not like showing up after I feel like the party has already started. I want to be there as the party is getting started. So mm-hmm. that's just, a, I mean, this is probably psychologically connected, right? Yeah. Anna. Yeah. A hundred percent. So actually let me, let me say that again. 110%. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So yeah, got really good at making friends. Like that wasn't the problem, but this, I did have this kind of like lingering sense of everyone else was already friends. And then I showed up and like, yeah, we're friends, but there's part of history that like I missed out on. So I think that this actually created a, like a lack of closeness and like intimacy in my friendships. I think that in my you know, middle school, high school, maybe not college as much, but I think definitely middle school and high school, I was maybe not like fully open in my friendships, not fully myself, not always vulnerable with my friends. And I think that this is the area that I have evolved. I think that with my adult friendships, I have been able to be more open and more myself. I still, I think I still struggle with that like last one to the party concept and there's probably a lot tied up in that but I do think that I've gotten a little bit better about being more open and vulnerable and like building that intimacy and friendships that I don't think I necessarily did as well um when I was younger and I think some of this could just be the self-awareness that comes with age like like we've talked about today already like that's something that's very prevalent in our friend group. It's a really like understanding kind of who we all are at our core, I would say is a really important part of, um, of our group of friends. So it could be that it could be that I've just, you know, gotten a little bit older and more comfortable with myself and more like, familiar with myself, but it does still feel like an evolution in how I show up in friendships. We're coming up on 10 years of friendship, actually. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. <laughs> I love stuff like that. I love looking back at it's like like time flies, right? Like you don't feel how fast time is going. But I love being like, huh, it's 2023. Bracey and I wait. Yeah, Bracey and I met in 2013. Like we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. One of the other things I was thinking about, too, is that our friendships are always going to be more established than our romantic relationships. Like I met Mm y'all before I met Seb. I, I think that's cool. Also, I just, when you said that 10 years, I'm like, oh, that's a third of your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a huge chunk of time. And it's just going to continue, you know, so it'll just, it's so fun. Friendship's the best. It is. I know it is. And I like that call out too, Bracey. Like, I think that our like lady friendships are really important to all of us, but I like that call out too. Like we were all friends before, like all of your respective partners came into the picture too. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. I like that. I like that foundation. All right. Well, this is one of my favorite questions. What is your relationship with money like? I have a lot to say here, actually. So buckle up, people. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, money. I love it. I love to have it. I love to spend it. I want more of it. That's (laughs) that's the headline. Um, so the title of this episode, (laughs) (laughs) Mo money, less problems. (laughs) So growing up, we always had what we needed. So I have two parents. I have two younger brothers, five of us. Um, 
always had what we needed. I would say we had 95% of what we wanted. I know, especially now looking back, I know that my parents were like frugal by necessity, but I never ever grew up feeling like we didn't have money. At the same time, money was not something that we really talked about a lot. So I never received much of an education on how to manage money. Side note, I also think that this is a failing of the U.S. school system. (laughs) I think that teaching personal finance should be a core part of any high school curriculum. I'm sure that it happens as like an elective, maybe at some schools, maybe some private schools are teaching it. Like it's not, I was not taught how to write a check. I was not taught about taxes. Like I think that this is like actually a failing of the school system as well. But going back uh, to my family and like my life, it was just never really a conversation. It wasn't a situation where like I, you know, just always assumed that the money was there. It just wasn't something that was really much of a source of drama for me, which, you know, I'm thankful for to my parents for like insulating me from that. Um, but then I, you know, I, I didn't really know how to manage it. I started working when I was like 10 or 11. I literally worked my whole life. So I started working when I was 10 or 11. My first job, I was like a mother's helper, which basically means I was like a junior babysitter. The mom was still there, but I was just helping with like whatever she needed. So that was the first job I ever had where I was starting to make money. I probably made $5 an hour or something like that. My mom had to drop me off. Then the mom I was babysitting for like had to drive me home. Like it was a I don't even know if this really helped anyone. But anyway, that was my first job. Um, and then I consistently had jobs throughout high school and college. Lots of babysitting. I was helping prepare tax returns at one point. I worked at different camps. I did all kinds of stuff. But I am a spender, not a saver. So all of these jobs that I had through middle school, high school, college, they were not really contributing toward any savings or any end goal. They were just funding my lifestyle, which I think was probably great for my parents, right? Because I wasn't asking for money to do things. I was like, had my own spending money. Um, but all of that working that I was doing, I wasn't thinking like, okay, I'm bringing in this money. Like, should I be saving some of it to let it like build up over time so then I can buy something bigger? No, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to the movies with my friends tonight, or I'm going shopping this weekend, or in college, I'm going to the bars this weekend. Like, this is this is what my my money's for. So then my first job out of college, um, got my first salary. It was a tiny baby salary, bracy nose, <laughs> little <laughs> little tiny baby salary, but it was still a salary. Um, and at that point in time, I would say that my, I also got my first credit card at that time. I didn't have a credit card throughout college, which is probably good because remember I'm a spender. Um, but when I had like moved into having my first job out of college, had a credit card for the first time, my focus was on paying off my credit card every month, treating it like a debit card. Side note, I have a lot of side notes. (laughs) I still think that this is probably the best and easiest advice for people that don't have a high level of financial literacy. You need a credit card because you need to build credit, but treat it like a debit card. Do not spend money that you don't have. Pay it off every single month. If you don't have the money in your account, don't use the credit card to make the purchase. So that's my side note. That was my 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 biggest focus when I first got out of college was, okay, I do have more money coming in now. I have this credit card. Technically, I can spend like I can buy whatever I want now, but that was my focus was making sure I could pay it off every month. I would say that since then, I've generally been able to continue that concept of like making sure I'm paying off my credit card every month. I don't want to you know, build up credit card debt or anything like that. Um, of course, my spending has increased as my income has increased. Thankfully, they're increasing at two different rates. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, that that happens. So um, I started contributing to my retirement when I was 24, which is later than I wish I had. I wish I had started a few years earlier, but it's earlier than a ton of people do. Time is the most important asset that you have when it comes to building wealth and saving for retirement. So listeners out there, if you haven't started contributing to your retirement and saving for your retirement, please start tomorrow like even the smallest amount is really helpful please start doing that so i started that when i was 24 i would say around that same time 
I went through probably what was like the biggest shift in my finances, which was moving out on my own. So out of college for the first like four years out of college, I had roommates. Um, shout out to Anna. She was one of my roommates <laughs> for a year. Hi. Um, <laughs> but I would say that moving into my own apartment was probably the biggest the first big change I would say to my finances, because I suddenly became the sole owner of all of my costs, right? Obviously my rent went up significantly because I wasn't splitting it with like one or three other people. Um, but also my internet, that was a bill that was fully mine, my electricity, my power, my water, all of this was like fully mine. It was no longer split. So that was the first, like, I would say really big shift in, in my expenses and how I started kind of thinking about what I was responsible for in terms of my finances. So then fast forward a few years uh, to 2022, I bought a house, which was an exciting investment, um, but has definitely also created some risk for me. So I'm single. So my income is the only one that is paying for the house and for my life. So if I were to ever lose my job, which as we know, is something I am constantly worried about. <laughs> Um, it's really important that I've taken steps to protect myself. So a couple months ago, um, I invested in working with a financial advisor to build a financial plan. So prior to that, like I said, I had my retirement, I had an emergency fund, but like that was it. And I didn't really know, like, am I even contributing the right amount? Like, do I have the right amount in my emergency fund? Like, what are, what are all the right things here? So, um, I, found a financial advisor, went through the process of getting a financial plan created. It was awesome. She asked me basically like, what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Then we went through a process where I gave her everything, everything that I have. I was like, here are all my mortgage statements. Here are my loan statements. Here are my bank statements. Here's my credit card statement. That was a little stressful, but um, I gave her just like, anything that I had that related to like my personal finances. And she took that. It took like six weeks probably. And she took that and ran a whole bunch of scenarios based on like when I might die and <laughs> when I want to retire and uh, was able to use all that information to like come up with a financial plan. And it was really nice because the output was exactly what I wanted, which was just tell me exactly what to do. Like, if you give me a set of instructions, I will follow them. I like, that's all I want is just give me clear guidelines and I will thrive under your guidelines. Uh, so that's what she did. She was like, this is how much you should be contributing to this type of account. Have this much in that account, spend this much on like spending every month and et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a lot of other things too. But that was really nice because I think it, I guess the the risk to my finances, the am I saving enough? Am I putting enough in the right places? That was one of those things that would like keep me up at night, like whisper in my ear. What if you lose your job tomorrow? How long can you pay your mortgage? Like those are the things that would keep me up at night. So even though this was like, it was like a, a financial investment, but I think it's absolutely paying off in my peace of mind, but also it like will pay off financially long-term as well. So um, that's been kind of like my, my progression from, you know, money was not really something I thought about. I didn't have much education on it. I am a spender by nature to how I have taken steps to try to make sure I'm protected and set up well for my future and to try to avoid risk as much as possible. Yeah. It sounds like you took your money anxiety and used it to make a easy to execute plan. Yeah, that was the goal. Beautiful. Okay, well, tell us about your experience with quarantine and social distancing, because you had a, a pretty fun and kind of interesting approach to this. Indeed. So as with, I think, everyone, I started quarantine and social distancing with a general sense of doom and denial. <laughs> I would lay in bed at night <laughs> and be like, is this real? this can't be real. I can't believe this is real. Oh my God, nothing's ever going to be the same. It was not fun. I would spiral a lot. Um, so that evolved into what I'm calling a cautious coziness, uh, which was, you know, a lot of good alone time, long walks outside, FaceTiming with family and friends, uh, trying I'm recipes. Not 
I'm not shocked at all that you gave your quarantine time a branding. You, yeah, you branded it. <laughs> Listen, awesome. I am who I am. <laughs> um, and then obviously Ladies Night, which has been mentioned many times on the podcast. Um, so that was kind of the evolution. Um, I lived alone, though. So after about five months, I started to slowly lose my mind. Um, so I made a honestly kind of out of character for me, I would say, decision. It was pretty spontaneous to travel. So my mom actually helped me decide that this is something I could do. It was kind of her idea. And I was like, I can't do that. That can't work. And she was like, why? Like, literally give me a reason why you can't. And I couldn't. She was like, all right, we're buying tickets right now. So I ended up um, doing some super safe and cautious traveling. So I spent a month in Portland with Anna and Taylor, whoop, whoop. not with them. I mean, I lived in a different apartment, but I saw Anna every single day for like four weeks. And it was literally the medicine my brain and heart needed after five months of being alone in a pandemic. The only day that we didn't see each other in person when you were here was when we had a ladies night call and we saw each other on Zoom for three hours. (laughs) That was the only day that we didn't Mm -hmm. see each other. It was awesome. That is facts. It was amazing. And then I spent the next month in New York City, which is one of my favorite places. Um, And I got to be there uh, during the results of the 2020 election, which that was a fun place to be when the election results were announced. Um, And it was just like amazing changes of scenery, even though I was still, you know, still kind of, I guess, under quarantine, under social distancing. um, It was just nice to have that change of scenery. It like, I think like saved me that year. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. Okay, well, this feels like a selfish question because I know how much you love babies, but I would love to hear how you feel about kids and what your thoughts are about parenting. Yeah, I love kids. I started babysitting. I mentioned this earlier. I started babysitting when I was like 10 or 11 um, and did that like as a an additional source of income, like into my late 20s. And then also last weekend. <laughs> she was here <laughs> while I was recording the podcast last weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited that my friends have started to have babies because now I can just volunteer to babysit them for my own like gain. You know, I'm like, this is fun for me. I just want to go. Yeah, I agree. It's good for me because I just want to cuddle a baby. I think it's good for my mental health. And you know what? If Bracey and Seb get to go to Lowe's for a couple hours, perfect. Like win, (laughs) win, win. It was my first trip to Lowe's since having her. So and Oh, that's amazing. Y'all know that that's a place that I frequent anyways. So (laughs) did you get Jersey Mike's while you were out? I didn't. Mm. Opportunity. Yeah. All right. I'll come back over. (laughs) Twist her arm. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I I love kids. I've always hoped and planned to have kids one day. Uh, Slightly stressed about my age and relationship status, Uh, but I have faith everything will work out uh, like it's supposed to. So. I think over the past 10 or so years, um, I've developed a better understanding of things like mental health, uh, generational trauma, gender roles, social media, lots of things that I think can really impact a child's development, but that I don't think were really as much a part of the conversation when we were growing up. Like, I don't think that at least not in the communities that I was raised in. And like, this is nothing bad about like my parents. I had an excellent childhood, but I think that like this idea of like mental health and, you know, what, what we're passing down to our kids in terms of like our own trauma and issues. I just don't think that that's something that was at the forefront of like parenting in the nineties. So in addition to that, I think that I also have, a greater sense of self-awareness, which again is something I've mentioned today. Um, And I feel like I have some idea of how my own personal anxieties and fears could come out in a parenting situation. So I'm sure this is all subject to change, considering I'm still pretty far away from parenthood. But I would say that my main goal is to create a space where my children feel comfortable bringing me their fears, their anxieties, um, and their mistakes but also their dreams, their identities, and their stories, all without fear of judgment or lack of acceptance. 
my dad shared an analogy with me recently that really resonated with me in terms of parenting. He said that when your kids are growing up, you are the gatekeeper for them. You choose what is and is not a part of their life. As the kids get older, you start to share that responsibility with them. And then they eventually become their own gatekeepers. So your role as a parent is to prepare them to be their own gatekeepers and help enable them to make smart and healthy decisions about what they will and will not allow to be a part of their life. I like that. It's basically how to teach kids to set boundaries, which is like Mm -hmm. one of the most important things that you can pass on to a child. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I didn't even mean to do this, but it's here. So we're going to just jump in. What's your relationship with boundaries? And what's maybe your favorite boundary you've set for yourself? I feel like of a, of all of my like close friends, like you're definitely in the top of like being good at this, I think. Thanks. I am relatively new to it, to, to consciously setting boundaries, I would say. But I think it's a very important exercise in self-awareness and also preservation of relationships, which I'll explain. Um, so... I have set boundaries with other people around things that either I know are crossing a line for me and will make me uncomfortable or around things that have the potential to be an anxiety trigger for me. So a great example of the anxiety trigger one um, is from when I was actually going through the process of buying a house. So when I was buying a house, the market in Raleigh was crazy. I made six offers on five houses, all significantly over asking. It was really, really hard. And the delayed success, which in that situation, obviously the success is offer accepted. I buy a house. The delayed success felt like a failure to me. So I asked Anna and Brittany, who are two of my closest friends, um, and obviously, you know, want to be involved in a really important, you know, uh, time in your life, I asked them to not ask me any questions about it. Um, and I told them that I would share with them when there was something to share. I knew that because I was tying, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a stressful thing, right? It's a lot of money. It's a huge life decision. Like it's, it's a, it's stressful on its own, not to mention the fact that my basic fear is failure. And I was tying the delayed success in buying a house to my own personal failings. Rationally, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, I was tying all of that up in it. So I knew that if they asked me about it when I wasn't in a good headspace, it could cause me to feel mad at them, even though they were doing nothing wrong. Um, so because it was a stressful situation for me, and I, I like, I knew that that could be a potential result of me not setting that boundary. I set the boundary to protect myself but also to protect my relationship with them because it wasn't going to be fair to them for me to like perceive them negatively just because they want to be involved in something that's important to me. So I, I had to kind of, I tried to be proactive about not letting my own anxieties impact my relationship with them. And then it was like a really fun thing when I had just like, I got to like surprise FaceTime them. They didn't even know I had like put in an offer. And I got to just surprise FaceTime them and be like, you guys, I bought a house. So yeah, it was, uh, I think, I think boundaries are important, right? Like it's, it's about yourself and like preservation of yourself, but I think it's also about preservation of your relationship with other people. Yeah. All right. What would you say is your favorite place you've been to? And if you had to move, where would you go? So favorite place I've been to is probably Italy. I did a really amazing trip to Italy in 2019 with my mom and my aunt and my grandmother. Um, We went to Rome, Florence, and Venice. So Italy is probably my favorite, but I just went to Israel for the first time a couple months ago. And that is like a really, really close second. Like it's really close to the top. And honestly, hot take, but the food I had in Israel was probably better than any of the food I had in Italy. Wow. Which, yeah, Israel was amazing. So, um, If I had to move internationally, I would probably move to Florence, Italy. If I had to move domestically, I would move to New York City, New York City. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Not upstate New York. Absolutely not. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Okay, well, this is one of my favorite questions. I think it's super interesting. I have no idea what you're going to say. So do you think that you have an alternate life path that you would have enjoyed? Yeah, so I was supposed to move to New York City in 2020. Uh, Like, I had Mm. let my company know. I had started looking for apartments. I was supposed to move in May, May of 2020. And then, as you all know, in March of 2020, the pandemic happened and everything became super sketchy, most of all New York City. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I did not do that. Um, I feel really confident that that was the right decision because even once the, just like the COVID risk decreased a bit in New York City, still the state of the world was working remotely, working from home. Um, I do not want to do that in a New York apartment those are small. Like uh, that's just not, that wasn't the life that I wanted in New York. So I think had the pandemic not happened, I think that I would have moved to New York in May of 2020 for a couple of years. And I, I know that I would have enjoyed that. Um, I think that what has ended up happening for me is good as well, because I've been able to buy a house here. And I know that that's like a good investment for me, but yeah, I think I would have enjoyed that. The other one that I think would have been good for me is if I had taken a gap year between high school and college. I think I was way too young to start college when I did. Um, and I think it probably decreased the value, like the overall value I got out of my time in college. So I think if I had taken a gap year between high school and college and worked or traveled or just done something different, I think it, I, I would be interested to see what impact that would have had on the choices that I made in college in terms of like what I studied and how I spent my time. That's fascinating. I've never heard anybody mm -hmm. talk about that. But I have very mixed feelings about the college system and like whether it's actually helpful to anybody. So I yeah, I can see that being really great. Especially for a newly 18 year old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was still 17 when I started college. Um, But I wouldn't. There is nothing anyone could have said to me at that time that would have made me take a gap year. Because all of my friends were going straight to college and like, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I'm a, a, a path follower. If there is a like correct path I'm supposed to follow, that's what I'm going to do. So graduating from high school and going straight into a four-year university, like that's like the, you know, most widely accepted correct path. It's not the right path for everyone. And I would argue that maybe it's not the best path for anyone because yeah, we're young and college is expensive and and you never um, really know what you want to do I don't think at that age no, there are very few no. people who are sure what they want oh to my do. god when I started college I was pre-med I didn't like, know that yeah <laughs> I, I yeah. didn't know that either yeah I was pre-med and then um the literally the 101 level science classes I was like absolutely I'm not I'm not doing this I'm not I don't like this enough I'm not doing it and then I turned like took a hard left and went into uh, early childhood education. Um, and then I was like, no, I can't do this either. And then I was like, all right, <laughs> let me like split the difference and let me do psychology. And so I ended up getting a degree in psychology and absolutely loved it and had intentions of going to grad school and becoming a therapist, but decided I didn't want to go to grad school right out of college, honestly, because I was tired. And this is a great example of if you take a gap year before making a big educational investment, it might actually change what you decide you want to do. Because then I started working and making money. And I was like, I don't want to go to grad school. That is not something I want to do anymore. So um, yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I think a gap year could really change the things for people. And I wish it was a little bit more widely accepted. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. We are going to jump into some fun this or that questions. I know you've listened to the other episodes. So the name of the game is just go with your gut. Okay. Got it. Okay. Ice cream sandwich or ice cream cone? Wow. You're starting with a really hard one. Hannah, ice cream. go with your gut. <laughs> uh, these are going to be hard for me. Ice cream cone. Night or morning? Night. Passenger or driver? driver because I get car sick. Hmm. Hamburgers or hot dogs? Oh my god. Cheeseburgers. <laughs> it's so Beach hard. Or pool. Beach. Sunrises or sunsets? Sunsets. I love the confidence in that <laughs> one. Um, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Be embarrassed or be afraid? 
oh my god uh be afraid city or countryside Anna? <laughs> City. We are not editing out those long pauses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wine or beer? Wine, obviously. New Zealand, specifically. Uh, camping <laughs> or glamping? Um, camping. Surprised wait. about that one. Wait, also wait, wait, wait. Surprised about that. <laughs> I I'm can not I sure still that's the answer. <laughs> can I what even is glamping is it just more comfortable camping yes okay well then yeah glamping <laughs> I just really still want to have a, like a fire and like s'mores and a fire glamping has and the outdoors <laughs> okay okay yeah then glamping okay. okay uh cooking or being cooked for oh cooking with someone you love We'll accept it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Scuba scuba diving or skydiving? Oh, my God. Skydiving. Guacamole or salsa? Guacamole. Attend a party or host a party? Attend a party. Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Hot coffee or iced coffee? Hot coffee in the morning, iced coffee in the afternoon. Patterned or plain? pattern reality shows or documentaries <laughs> this one's really painting her uh, documentaries pineapple pizza or candy corn oh pineapple pizza candy corn is trash i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man man all right Thank you so, so much for coming on and being vulnerable with us and with our moms. We really appreciate it. <laughs> all, all five of our listeners are really glad to hear from you. Oh, they really are. Hey, mom. Good to see you all. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. This has been fun. And fun fact, honestly, even before my friends started a podcast, one of my bucket list items is to be a guest on a podcast one day. So Here thank you are. so much for helping me check that that goal off absolutely happy to do it for sure um all right if you have any questions for hannah you can email us at lightheartedpodcast at gmail.com and we'll pass them along and be sure to follow along on instagram at lightheartedpod talk to you soon bye bye